Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Everybody, David Nagel, welcome to the Successful Mind Podcast. Uh, today, I'm taking a question from uh, a fan, a listener, a uh, person of intrigue, and it's a question that I get frequently, um, and I can definitely understand why there's confusion uh, around this idea. But so here, basically, here's the idea. I here's the question I get. Sorry, um, how can I tell if the voice in my head is ego? intuition, fear, spirit guiding me, how can I, how can I tell? And every time I get that question, I go back to uh, this book club that I was in back in the 90s. Um, my mentor was running a, like a book of the month thing. And you'd get this, you'd get this book, you'd get a printed lesson. Um, and he would take you through, he would take you through the book over through, through the month, I believe it was. Like it was maybe two calls or two or three calls a, a month. Uh, back then, you would get a cassette tape of the, uh, uh, the lessons. And I remember this, this, this very specific question came up because they would do Q&A, and this person said, how can I tell the difference between spirit and fear? And I was just hanging on the edge of my seat waiting for the, uh, the, the answer. And his answer was, believe it or not, he said, um, it's, it, it's experience. That's the answer, experience. You, you, can, you can tell, you will be able to tell by experience. Now, when he said it, I got to admit, I really was not happy about that answer because I think that the, the one thing that we come to uh, as far as wanting to know this information is that we don't want to make mistakes. There's, there's this essence to the question of how do I know which one to listen to? How do I know which one's right? Because I don't want to make mistakes. And it's a, it's a unfortunate error that we make as human beings, I believe, in uh, trying to avoid mistakes you know, we're raised with this idea that mistakes are, are a bad thing. And I've mentioned many times that in, our, in, our, in the early years of our life, when we're babies, we make all kinds of mistakes and we're encouraged because we're reaching out. We have this, we have a, an instinct, an intuitive ability in us that is, that is telling us to move forward. It, it grabs something off the table and it, we shove it in our mouth or we're sticking our fist in our mouth or we're playing with our feet. You know, we discover the different parts of our body. Um, and then, you know, of course, like when we're learning to talk or we're, we're learning to walk, nobody ever says to us, hey, listen, you know, give it up. You know, you're never going to be able to walk. Those legs are too wobbly. Forget it. It's not going to happen. Just give it up. Um, and, you know, just sit on the couch for the rest of your life type of a thing. But what, what's fascinating about that is that as we progress, we start to go to school. Uh, we have to start to learn how to integrate into society as a child. Mistakes start to have a very different connotation to them. And very often uh, we are ridiculed, we are made wrong, we are shamed and guilted over the idea of making mistakes. Because it, 
it holds everybody up. It holds people back. It does not allow the classroom to flow. Uh, teachers have to have a quota. They've got to get these students through in a timely fashion. They have to keep their schools, have to keep their grades up. The districts have to keep their grades up so they get the funding and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So mistakes start to become a problem uh, because it's inconvenient for everybody else around us. But mistakes, you know, they not only do they help us learn, they help us understand. If we're making a mistake, we're, there's something we're not understanding that is causing us to make the mistake. Even if the mistake is out of laziness or not enough dedication or we didn't do our homework or whatever, it's all part of the process of us learning who we are. And if we would be allowed to make mistakes, we, I think that the, the hearing of our own internal soul voice, so to speak, would actually be, be much easier for, for individuals. But there are some things that we can do where we can start to really get to know uh, that voice that is inside of us, that is, that is giving us some direction in life. Because I do believe that there is a voice of some kind that exists in all all life forms that help it move forward. Now, I think with human beings, it's a little bit different because we have an intellect. We have the ability to reason. We can rationalize. You know, we do that process that we call thinking. Um, we attempt to understand something. We, we also can evaluate risk in life. Uh, we can set goals. We can set direction for ourselves. Um, or we can be completely lazy and just not consciously really think at all and just kind of re react to life. In the animal kingdom, in nature, it's a little bit different. It, there's, a, there's an instinctual knowledge that flows to and through uh, all of life, and it, it propels it to move forward. Now, how does it do that in an animal? I don't know. It's an instinct. It's, it's obviously not a voice like we hear. Um, I would imagine it is some kind of an urge or uh, an emotion or a feeling that causes an animal to move forward or attack a prey or run from a predator or eat when it's hungry, this type of thing. Uh, even when the seasons change, you know, and, and things adapt to uh, the changing of the seasons, you know, leaves start to turn, they start to fall, they're responding to uh, less hours of light, uh, things are responding to cooler temperatures depending on where you're living, and, and life adapts. So it, it moves, it changes. But what's interesting about nature is that it's always moving in the right direction. It's always, it's, it's always following its rhythm. It's always following its pattern. It's always following the next thing that it's supposed to do to sustain life and to keep life moving forward. Human beings, on the other hand, because we have the ability to consciously choose, we can actually choose to deny that and not move forward. In the, in the, early, age, or the early stages of our life, we also have a voice, however immature or undeveloped it may be, I believe that, is, that causes us to be um, inquisitive, right? It, we we, we want to know. We're, we're curious uh, beings. There's an excitement uh, in us to explore new things, to, um, to be creative, to create things, to draw, to, to look at colors and, and music and sounds and different textures. Th this is 
and I think in a small child, it it's an urge to do this. Like they're not really thinking about it. They're just like, they reach out and they're like, oh, this is a pen. And like, if I put the pen down on this surface, I can make the pen right. Or there's this music, there's this sound, or I can taste something, I can feel things. And then as we get a little bit more mature, I think those urges start to form into questions. We start to wonder, you know, well, why is this a pen? Why was it called a pen? You know, um, w- w- am I a boy? Am I a girl? Are you a boy? Are you a girl? Um, why is something hot? Why is something cold? What is the weather? Why is there? Why are there tornadoes? What does it mean when it rains? You know, oh, that's the sunshine. So, as we begin to learn, the more knowledge we seem to accumulate the more questions that we have because the human being is trying to understand. And I believe that the human being is trying to understand because we are developing patterns for moving through our life. Um, An animal, interestingly enough, most animals are staying within the domain of where it's born for the most part, right? So, the even when you're when you're thinking about fish in the ocean, they may sw- swim thousands of miles or whatever, but they're in the domain of of the ocean. The birds are you know in the sky, in the trees and cliffs, you know whatever it might be. There seems to be an instinctual knowledge about everything that they need to know within the realm of the territory that they are going to take up in their lifetime. With human beings, though, it seems to be a little bit different. We're learning knowledge. We're being taught about the territory that we're in. Um, It's a voice coming from not just one person, but multiple people. It could be mom. It could be dad. It could be teachers. It could be clergy, anybody of influence around us. And as as we're going through that process and we're taking on this knowledge, it does cause more and more questions. Now, I think that when a, when a child is small, if somebody was to take the child and start to show them and, and point to them, uh, to acknowledge the curiosity that they have and see where is the curiosity in that child taking that child as an individual, like what are they curious about, right? Because every person's different. We're not all curious about the, the same thing. Um, you'll have a child. One child might be interested in music. Another might, child might be interested in sports. Another child might be interested, they might be mechanically inclined, and, and so on and so forth. But if the, if the areas that, that we seem to be interested in were encouraged so that we could continue to explore why we're interested in that, I think that we would come to know the voice that's talking to us within much better. I think that it's when we're criticized from following that direction, that the voice begins to split. And then we have this voice that says, I want to know more about this, that, and the other. And then we have the the authority of voice, the, the adult's voice that's in us, that's telling us, no, you can't do that. No, you should do this. You better not try that. You might get in trouble for this. And then it starts to develop like this chaotic voice. In In what we know of as the ego, I think what's happening is that that external voice that we're hearing from an outside source, the people that are in authority around us, the people that are teaching us, that voice is mixing with the pattern recognition that we have on the inside of what keeps us safe, what gets us approval from other people, 
how we're validated by others, whether we're getting recognition or whether we're getting rejection. Because children definitely go through long periods of time where rejection is a very, very real thing. And for a human being, rejection can hurt. Like it, it can be a very painful thing emotionally um, for a person to begin to experience. So when a child is going through that phase of life where they're, they're trying to fit in to the in different environments that they're being exposed to, and they're getting rejection or acceptance from people, they start to tailor their behavior based on what feels good. Now, is this an absolute for every single person? No, it's not. But in general, this is kind of how it works. So the child is trying to find themselves as a, as a unique individual in a world that is filled with multiple opinions, ideas, beliefs, faith, <clears throat> excuse me, about a lot of different things. And you know, they're, they're really exploring whether or not they like something or not, if they want to continue doing something or not. But I think when the voice outside of them gets louder, gets stronger, um, in some cases it gets more fearful or directive, that the, the child begins to split off from that internal voice that's trying to tell them the, the direction that they should go for their, for their own life. I don't believe that human beings are the only uh, life form on the planet that does not have um, a directive that's coming from within. I believe that we, that we do. And I believe the early Greeks really acknowledged this when they talked about the heart of hearts. You know, uh, you know in Scripture it says, as a man thinketh within in his heart. You know, there, there is in this internal heart that I think uh, the voice of spirit, the voice of our higher self, uh, speaks to us through desire. And desire is trying to tell us the direction that we should actually go. But when we're made wrong for following those desires and we have to follow somebody else's ideas of who we should be, what we should do, the direction that we should go, what we should like, what we shouldn't like, uh, the way we should express ourselves or not express ourselves because it makes somebody else uncomfortable, we get very disconnected from that internal voice that's within us. And I think it's a dangerous thing because as we get disconnected from it, it dims that voice, it quiets that voice. We don't hear it uh, as loudly as we should. And what we hear is the voice of others. So I think our ego is a combination of the self that we create to be safe in the world, which is developed based on pattern recognition of what feels good, what doesn't, what keeps us safe, what doesn't, what makes us feel certain in life, and what doesn't, uh, and the, all the other voices that we hear that are kind of helping shape that and, and form it in our life. Uh, and those two things kind of coming together as the main voice that we hear in our head. Now, there's another voice that seems to arise, I think, out of the ego voice. And honestly, I think it has very little to do with um, the, the way that our DNA has, uh, you know, for two million years, it has given us this idea of how do we move away from fear so that we can stay safe and we can stay alive. 
It's pretty well known that we're only born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. And really those are startle responses in a way that says, hey, pay attention, you might fall off a cliff here, or there's, a, there's this loud noise, you know, maybe there's a tiger in the woods or something like that. Um, and you need to know how you're going to react or respond to that in the moment so that you can stay alive. But as a, as a, a child grows up and they begin to experience all these different ways in which we live and experience our world, we're also experiencing a variety of different fears that are embodied by other people. And it doesn't really matter whether those fears are real, like they're a real danger in our life, or they're imaginary fears based on superstition or hypochondria or, uh, you know, fear-mongering by other individuals. Once that fear is then projected onto us. If it gets in our subconscious mind, our subconscious mind can't tell the difference between whether it's imagined or real. It's a very interesting, uh, unique thing about the subconscious mind. Whatever goes in starts to form a fixed pattern. Uh, it starts to form a belief. It starts to form a reactionary response to the world. So you can take um, let's say a child is, is raised with superstitious parents and they have a, a fear of sticks. Uh, you know, sticks are bad. Uh, sticks are evil. You know, sticks will create all these problems. Sticks will make you sick. And they keep telling this child this with all this descriptive uh, linguistic ability to explain why sticks, why you shouldn't be afraid of sticks. You're building in the imagination of the child this fear around sticks. And it doesn't matter that it doesn't exist. What matters is that it was real to the parents. They're projecting it to the child. The child absorbs it because they don't have the ability to rationalize or, or, or really think through whether this is true or not. And the fear starts to become embedded in the subconscious mind. And we have all different kinds of fears uh, that happen this way. When, when parents are teaching children how to be safe, one of the things that they very frequently use is they use some kind of fear almost as a repellent not to do something. Um, you know, and you know, it can be like, don't take candy from a stranger because a stranger could hurt you or a stranger could do bad things to you. Um, you have to look both ways so you don't get hit by a bus. You know, um, don't, don't stick a fork in the socket or, you know, it'll electrocute you. Now, it's not that those things aren't true. Like, there's a lot of truth to those things. But the, the, the first examples of it that are actually being presented to this child, in many, many cases, again, not all, but in many cases, they're fear-based. So a child is absorbing all these fears from different people. And then, of course, there's the fears that we have on the media, whether they're watching a horror movie or they're watching something scary or they're reading scary books or hear scary, scary stories and their imagination starts to run away with them. They could be afraid of, you know, the shadow of a, of a tree shining into their room at night or the heat kicks on and the floorboards, you know, they pop and, and crack and the child thinks that there's something under the bed. These fears start to exacerbate within the imagination. And it becomes another voice. These fears become another voice. Another thing that creates these fears is another voice is experiences that, that 
cause pain or that we're afraid of. You know, if a if a child has to give up and get up and say they have to read a page out of a book in front of the class and they get laughed at, they that may cause the child to have a fear of, of public speaking or expressing themselves. You know, the thing is, is that you could have two kids. They both experience they both experience the same. Uh, not fun thing or bad thing, but they develop different fears over it. So it's a it's a very interesting um, array of human emotions and imagination and how it all becomes fixed in the in the subconscious mind. But again, what it's doing is it's creating another voice. So I think that that we then have what people call spirit. Like, I, am I hearing from God? Am I hearing? Am I hearing from spirit? And I believe that people do hear that. I believe that that I do. Not as like a, a weird voice that tells me to do weird things or anything, but here's the way that I think that we differentiate uh, these voices so that we can have some understanding of, of what it is that we're hearing and what it's telling us to do. And ultimately, remember this, you will only know by experience, meaning that you have to listen to something to for some direction in your life. And then you have to go out and see if that direction is valid of what it is that you're hearing. So that you're getting to know yourself. I mean, really getting to know these different voices that are inside of you, these different feelings, different urges, and what they're telling you. You get to know, oh, that's just fear, or that's my mind just making something up. That's my ego, uh, or that's my ego projecting something onto someone else. Um you know that's my uh, that's my like my infantile brain that is like emotionally reacting. You know it's like my five year old child that's that's kicking its feet. Oh, this is intuition. This is my inner heart, my inner soul telling me to go in this direction. This is for my own good. This is this is giving me some insight into how do I move forward in my life. So let's break these down. The first one I want to talk about is fear, because fear is a very interesting concept. And we have to understand how fear generally speaks to a person. Fear generally speaks to a first person by telling them not to do something. So that's not a good thing or a bad thing. It just is. It really depends on what it is that fear is telling you not to do. Fear could tell you, hey, don't jump off of a, off of a building because you can't fly. That would be a good thing if fear is telling you not to do that. But if you're, let's say you're, you're doing something to stretch and grow as a person, maybe it's you're going to introduce yourself to new people and fear is saying, oh, no, you'll be rejected. They'll laugh at you. They won't like you. That's fear telling you not to do something, and it's not good for you. So the idea is how do we listen to multiple voices and understand which one is which? Understand that fear almost always speaks to you as telling you not to do something. So you have to put that in a category all on its own. When we're talking about our ego, the interesting thing about our ego is that the ego can be a combination of many voices, not just necessarily your own. So when the ego, when the ego is talking, one of the things, like especially like if I'm sitting down with a client or something, I'll say, whose voice is that, right? If they're telling me something like there's a voice in their head or they're just spitting something out without thinking that doesn't seem to really make a whole lot of sense. Like you can really tell that that's not them. And you could do this on your own. Like when you feel like you want to say something, when you want to do something, and you know that it just doesn't feel like you, ask yourself the question, whose voice is this? And then just get quiet for a moment. 
Because very often what we'll be able to discern, we'll go, oh, that's my mother's voice that's saying that, right? Like, uh, um, I don't like broccoli. Okay, who's, who's vo- you never had broccoli. Who's, whose voice is that? Is that your dad's voice? Is that your mom's voice? Is that your grandma's voice? Whose voice is that? And really listen for the answer because here's the thing. Whenever these ego voices speak to us, we know where they came from. We may not recall in the moment, but we know where they came from. And they also have patterns. Like they, they almost, it's like they have personalities in a way. It's mom's personality. It's dad's personality. When we hear somebody telling us they like something for 20 years or they don't like something for 20 years or their belief system, whatever it is, it could be mom, dad, school teacher, clergy, grandma, grandpa, friends. We know these voices because we recognize the patterns of these voices. So what I like to say is, whose voice is that? If I just react to something and it's a voice I hear in my head or I feel inside of me, I know it's not my, my voice. So I'll be like, whose voice is that? And that's what, one of the things that I also teach my clients is really pay attention to who's, who that, that voice is. So now we have, we have fear and fear tells us what not to do. And we have the ego, which is a combination of all different kinds of voices, plus the shell that we kind of wear as a mask that we go out into the world that kind of keeps us kind of keeps us safe. Okay. Now let's move into intuition or desire or spirit. I kind of put all of those things in the same category because it's coming from our higher self. Okay. It, it has been written in many different places that when we're listening to our higher self, when we're listening to spirit, it's always pointing us in the direction of what to do, right? It's always pointing us in the direction of what to do. And it doesn't speak through fear. It speaks in the, like it says in the, I believe it's in the New Testament, love, courage, and a, and a sound mind, which will give you some idea of what that voice resembles, so you might be thinking to yourself, well, sometimes I get voices in my head that tell me to do something and it's not actually good for me. That would go back to your ego again. And that's when you have to ask yourself, okay, well, whose voice is this? When we're listening to our higher self, when we're listening to intuition, when we're, when we're listening to spirit, there is going to be a resonance with that voice. Not only is it something that you want or want to do or experience or you're curious about, but there's also a feeling of harmony with it. Um, it it's, an, it's, an, it's intriguing. It's curious. It's something that you want to do. You can feel it in your body. You can feel it in your being. That, that's one. Two, when it comes to the courage or the faith, very often when this voice is telling us to do something, very often it's something that we haven't done before especially if we're, if we're holding ideas in our mind of where do I go next with my life or how do I accomplish this goal? Uh, how, do I, how do I step more into my purpose? There is a, there's an element of risk that comes with this voice, but also with, a, with a, a slight emotion or feeling of courage behind it. So it's literally stepping into the power of this voice of your higher self. It, it wants you to stand up and be more of yourself to step into the thing that you want to do for your life or the thing that you want to experience. You may feel excitement with it, and you may be enthusiastic about it. You may feel, have feelings of love, faith, hope, 
really good positive emotions go with it. Now, can a little fear come in there? Absolutely. But that's where we'll hear the fear be like, don't do this. Um, and and the, the thing is, is that the other voice is telling you to do it. So the, is the, when a fear tells us not to do something, is there any real basis of that? If the fear says, hey, don't do this, you'll be rejected. So we know based on growth that the idea is one of the things we overcome is the, the fear of rejection. If it's telling you don't do this um, and it keeps repeating itself in a way where you recognize the voice, now you're mixing ego with that voice. So again, that's why I'm saying it, this takes experience to do this because you have to be able to discern who these voices are and you can only do it by really thinking through the process of how these voices are actually speaking to you. So again, with the higher self, I think it's always trying to get us on track with our life. It's always trying to show us the next thing uh, that we should be involved with. It's trying to get us in harmony with goals. It's trying to get us in harmony with our purpose. It's trying to have us meet the right people that we need to meet in life to move our life forward. Those are the great things about, about intuition, about spirit, about desire uh, in your life to listen to those. So again, let me just break these three apart one more time so we have an understanding. Spirit, uh, fear teaches us, fear speaks to us and tells us what not to do. The common voices that we have in our head on a regular basis are generally a combination of ego voices that are built up between all the people that we've been exposed to in our life. And one of the best things that we can do is really break down and start to understand those voices by saying, who, whose voice is this? Is it mom? Is it dad? Is it grandma? Is it, was, it, was it my priest? Was it my teacher? Was it my doctor? Whose voice is this that is speaking through me with this thing? And then with intuition, with desire, with higher self, with spirit, it's always telling you what to do. It's giving your life direction. It has feelings of hope. It has feelings of excitement, enthusiasm, uh, exploration, curiosity. So as you, I would listen to this many times. I would, I would actually take notes, write it down, and I would practice to start listening to those voices so that you get really familiar with these different voices that are speaking in, uh, within you. And here's, the, and here's the, the, the overlying truth about this. Once we understand those voices, then the thing that we can do that is really the most powerful is to really cultivate our own voice of knowing and really listen to that voice. Because, you know, it's like having all these different people, you know, um, that are kind of like our board of directors talking to us. They're all giving us different information and different facts, but ultimately at the end, we have to take that information and we have to make the right decision for ourselves. So I really hope this helped. And uh, if you know somebody that's struggling with this, ask them to listen to this podcast. I think it'll help them out a lot. We'll see you on the next Successful Mind podcast. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.